On this episode of the Fostering Perspectives podcast, I get the pleasure of sitting down with author of Labeled, Kanisha Anthony. Kanisha is amazing, y'all. Her story and her experiences in foster care just brought me to tears as I was reading through her book. But more so than that, just her story of just overcoming and everything that she endured. You know, she continues to advocate for those in the system through her personal and work experiences. She is just awesome. Conversation is so genuine and legit and just truly passionate. It was just amazing conversation, y'all. We found ourselves on the Zoom for over three hours talking about everything. It was crazy, yo. I'm not going to put the three-hour podcast on here. I'm going to just give y'all a little snippet. But definitely Definitely stay tuned. Kanisha is amazing. You're going to love her story. And definitely go to her website, KanishaEAnthony.com. Get her book labeled, read it, and share it with anybody that you know, whether they be um, caseworkers, foster parents, youth that are in the system, because I guarantee you everyone will be touched. Stay tuned. Love y'all. As always, like, rate, and subscribe. Fostering Perspectives. Holla. All right. So thank you so much, Kanisha, for joining me on this episode of the Fostering Perspectives podcast. I am so excited to speak to you today about your book, Labeled, Board of the State. Um, I know when we first talked, you had mentioned how, you know, you were, you really were excited about dropping the book. And sometimes, you know, a few interviews have taken place. And sometimes you may get the sense that, the full book hadn't been read. And as I picked up this book to read it, I must say that for one, this is the first time that I've picked up a book to read in say the last two months. Not because I don't enjoy reading, I enjoy reading a significant amount. However, it's me, there's multiple kids, there's life, work, all that kind of stuff going on. So I just haven't had the opportunity to engage in something that I love doing so much. However, in reading your book over the last I don't even want to say a few weeks because I really was able to get your book done in about a week and a half. I was able to not only commit to reading an entire book in such a short time, but also get my workout in because I read your book at the gym every day consistently for at least 45 minutes. But it was a page turner. I couldn't put it down. I was so excited about it. I cried. I laughed with you. I supported you. So I am so excited to have you here today to talk about the book, to talk about some of the work that you're doing um, and just really, you know, how things are going for you now in the field of um, in the field of foster care advocacy. So thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? So I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me. And I am so interested in having this conversation with you about your perspective of my life and the book. Yes, honey. And for a moment there, I, you know, I definitely had to remind myself like this is this is what someone went through. Like this is a true encounter of someone's story. And so it really was amazing. So just to give our audience a little overview of of who you are, go ahead and tell us just a little bit about yourself. So my name is Kanisha E. Anthony. I am originally from Miami, Florida. I currently still live in Miami. Um, I went to I don't even know how I probably went to like 12 schools. (laughs) Um, I entered the foster care system at the age of four. I aged out at 18. And in the words of others, I have been able to do many things that statistically doesn't say that 
those from this background can do and will do. Absolutely amazing. And I, I get what you're saying, because for those that haven't been able to pick up the book and read it just yet, Kanisha, yes, as you mentioned, you did go to a, a number of schools throughout your journey um, in foster care and, you know, dealing with some of the individuals that, you know, cared for you throughout your time. But even more so than that, despite having gone through so many um, K through 12 schools, you managed to attend college, not just one college, but multiple colleges, not just to get your associates, bachelors, but bachelors, but even your master's degree, which was absolutely an amazing. Um, so in just being able to, to reflect on your story and to write this book, like what did that mean for you when you took pen to paper and really wrote out your story in the form of this book? When I began to write this book, um, what that meant to me was that I will be able to provide something to the world outside of myself. And even after life, for me, that this is a, I don't like to say it's a guide, but it's something that can be referenced for others. Because when I aged out, I was very curious. I didn't have any idea. Um, everything that I've accomplished have been on a trial and error basis with no one around me to even give me advice to say, well, you know, maybe you should do this or maybe you should do this. Or, um, well, when I did this, this was how I accomplished it. So for me, being so lost and curious at the age of 18, I thought that this and that my story was something that I could provide for others that come from similar backgrounds as myself. Right. And, you know, I think that that's something that's I'm glad that you you took the time to do that. You know, you talked about it in your book, how that was a relentless search. You know, it wasn't easy for you to get your hands on all of the core documents that listed the entirety of your story, whether correct or incorrect, and what they listed in and, you know, what people have said about you, your family, et cetera. Um, but you were relentless in that pursuit. And I think that relentlessness, that tenacity, it showed throughout your life cycle as you persisted with um, the transition between multiple kinship families, um, non-relative placements, et cetera. But even in that time, transitioning between people that you, you knew closely um, and then some that were slightly distant, but not so much. One of the things that you reflected on was just the importance of being able to communicate and be free. Um, and as foster, as a foster parent, and for those that are listening, how important would you say it is for us to either create an environment for youth that are in our care, um, to be free and open about, you know, asking questions about our fam their family history or what's going on with the case, or even just communicating about feelings and emotions and things that they're experiencing. It is very important to um, communicate with someone that's in your care because first, first and foremost, you know, you're not just providing a bed to someone that has entered your home. You, you are a caregiver, meaning that this person is in your care. You know, you are 100% responsible for this person on a day-to-day -day basis, even though, you know, they're involved in the system. You shouldn't see them as 
like, oh, they're in the state's custody, but they're just at my house. It's like their well-being is in your hands. Mm -hmm. So to create an environment that that welcomes dialogue about, you know, a person's life, um, it's very personal on one side of the table and then it's kind of business on the other side of the table. So when you are a person that's curious about what's going on in your life and trying to understand it from a child's perspective, you know, the nearest person to you is your foster parent. So that, you know, I feel like that's where you're, that's the first place that your mind is going to tell you to go because your caseworker has brought you to this person's home to care for you on a day-to-day, every minute basis. So it's very important um, to um, to invite this dialogue into your home because a person, especially a child, they're going to be curious. They're going to want to know. And it it helps it helps to you know um address some of those issues outside of therapy um where we you know they send us to therapy to process a lot of our feelings but along with therapy comes the work outside of therapy so the things that you talk about in therapy you have to practice in your life and everybody's situation is different so if the purpose of not really the sole purpose, but a part of a foster parent's role in a child's life could possibly be to, you know, in a family's life, not only a child's life, is to help the parent address the issue that um, caused the child to be removed from their home. So the foster parent's role with the um, quality parent initiative is to be like to teach to co-parent with the parent. So I think that that is very important in the dynamics of that family being able to move forward and also being a, being an assistant to the child while they are going through something that is so emotional, something that is so abnormal to, you know, average life and them being in your home and being, you know, most comfortable and being vulnerable with all the emotions and stuff that they do have to deal with. Right. I absolutely agree. There was a um a time in the book, you know, when you just you pointed out that dealing with your emotions was something that at one point you almost rather not do because you felt like they would think that you was crazy, you know, recommend you for psyche valves and, and medications and things of that nature. Um, so it was almost like instead of you dealing with the emotions, you you bottled that up and just didn't talk about them and didn't deal. Um And so what would you recommend for, you know, foster parents or even caregivers, right? Because some some may not be foster parents, but could be uh, relative caregivers or non-relative caregivers. What would you recommend for caregivers that may see their youth sort of drifting to that place where they don't feel open enough um, to share their emotions and their feelings for fear of being judged or being recommended for certain evaluations when they know that's not it, right? You knew you weren't crazy. You knew you were just dealing with some things and needed support. The advice that I would give, right, is I think that when I was dealing with my emotions, it was more so about the people that I were that I was around, 
they were also contributing to my emotions, right? So they were not being honest with themselves about how they were, I, if we want to say like adding fuel to the fire. So advice that I would give to someone, you know, it's not really much you can give to a person, but to just be yourself and, you know, just be true to how you, how you're going to show up for that person and be the best at it. If you know that, Hey, I could take you to, I could take, I could just take you to the store. Right. But I can't take you to Disney world, but every Friday I'm going to take you to this store and I can commit to doing that. Then I feel that once you show up as a trustworthy person, then that person can be able to, to trust you and to advocate for them in their best interest instead of going against them. So my advice would be, you know, to just be your true self and, you know, do what you can the best you can and don't make false promises. Don't, you know, overextend yourself in a way that you know that you won't be able to show up disappointing that disappointing the child even further. So that would be my advice is to, you know, just show up as your best self the best way you can. And don't, don't put it, don't put, don't give the child any new, any more experiences to, you know, be disappointed and be let down and feeling that, you know, this, this continues to keep happening to me. Why is it that nobody cares about me? Why is it that every time someone have to do something for me, it's like they drop the ball. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, more and more barriers and layers of, um, not resentment, but like layers of that distance continues to be put up because, you know, you continuously be disappointed by people who you are, that you are expecting that are supposed to care for you. Right. And it's so interesting that you say just show up because I have it marked on um, one of the pages in your chapter about adulthood. It was the day of your, when it, your graduation from college, you know, and, and one of your previous caregivers um, had asked for the invite, <laughs> but didn't come, right? And said they weren't coming. And, and one of the things that you said in the book was, you know, people can influence your journey, positive or negative, but they don't make you. And so the whole concept of just showing up from a caregiver's perspective and remembering your why, you just connected those dots, right? Because whether or not um, we think about our showing up and we think about our why, we're influencing the journey of that young person, be it positive or negative. And you just talked about how, you know, some of your caregivers may have added fuel to the fire, right? So their showing up wasn't exactly um, in the most positive manner, but um, may have fueled you. So as I think about like just reflecting on your story, you know, childhood was tough, but you you managed, found yourself getting into like a little bit of trouble um, during that senior year of high school. You had a little fun, huh? Um, but you you pushed through and you persevered because you knew that you wanted to finish school. You knew that you needed and wanted to get to college. But what was that like perseverance or determination factor for you once you were in college and pushing through without sort of having that support structure um, that most college students may have? Okay, so senior year, I was not having fun, right? <laughs> um, 
senior year, I was very determined and I had a more understanding of my life. I had an understanding of where I was presently and what I was up against. And the trouble that I got into was, it was more so about, you know, I was a child, I was a teenager, and I was still in high school where I was around my peers who had their own ideas of life. So although I was going through most of what I was going through, they didn't understand that. So I was really angry. And it was my response to, it was my response to people feeling like they, you know, could treat me any kind of way or say what they want, what to say what they wanted to do to me. So as much as I tried to avoid the situation, and I really used to ask people in high school to please leave me alone. Like I, 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 I just could see myself just standing there when people used to be talking to me about the stuff that they were saying. And I used to be like, I, I honestly, I don't care. And please leave me alone. But, you know, children, it was just different. Like where I'm from, it's kind of like, oh, she's scary. Oh, and they just feel like they could kind of bully you and they still don't like you. So they'll say something. And it's like, even though they know, like you've had fights in the past and you will fight them. It's kind of like they feel like they're the bigger bully. So they feel like you're back down to them. So that's how I got into, you know, the situations that I got into right. um, when I was a senior. But in those same moments, in those in those feelings, because all of those feelings were present of me being so angry, me understanding what I was up against, me fighting to tell people like, you know, I'm nothing is going to stop me. Like I have to do this for myself. Mm-hmm. I was really at rock bottom my senior year. Mm-hmm. I was, I didn't have anything where I was going to school. I was waking up, you know, five o'clock in the morning. I was coming home 11 o'clock at night because I'm in school all day trying to catch up on my course credits, trying to graduate to not spend. Cause I, I'm 18 and well, I'm, I'm 19 in the 12th grade at this time. So if I wouldn't have graduated that year, I would have been, I would have had to graduate, you know, when I'm 20, 21 years old. And I was really trying to avoid that. So during, during my senior year, that's what the situation was. Um, my, the last foster home that I lived in, she put me out. So it was really where you don't even have, a um, you don't even really have, I didn't really have a stable home. It was, I had to think about every other placement, every, the six homes that I had lived in, you know, me running away, living with friends and their parents saying that, okay, Kanisha, you know, you've been here for this amount of time. Like you can't stay here for much longer. Like you have to figure it out. So at senior year, I was just really at rock bottom. And like I said, I knew, I understood my life a little bit more and I knew what I was dealing with currently and I knew what I was up against. So in that moment, I just was, you know, just that fight. It was just like this. I I like to say I have guardian angels where (laughs) they they stay with me. And it was just something it was like, I didn't, I, I don't, I didn't look at the, the end of the staircase, right? I just kind of took it step by step, no matter how much it hurt it, no matter how much, how hungry I was, like, I really just pushed through. And 
even when I just think about how hungry I was, I think about, you know, the sacrifices that people that are in poverty have to make where people think that you have so many choices and you have so many options and you can just choose to go left when it's really the sacrifices that you have to choose between are like so detrimental to, you know, mental health, emotional health, and ultimately the the decisions that you're going to have to make. So in that present moment, I was making decisions to say, I'm going to graduate school. Even if I have to starve through a two hour class, I'm going to graduate school. So that, that was those moments that was like, you know, this is what I'm going through. And when I ultimately got to college, I just felt like, whoa, I got through all of this hungry, broke, crying. I could get through anything. Like I can do anything. And once I, once my situation began to improve and my circumstances began to get better, I was able to, I was able to focus more and I was able to really show up, you know, for myself, I was able to show up for myself and, you know, in my educational courses to excel. And that's ultimately, you know, what it was. But also in my book, I I mentioned, you know, the different levels of people's resilience, where I, I don't like when people say, well, Kanisha did it so you can do it. And it's like, no, don't compare my strength to any don't don't tell someone you know to compare my strength to their strength because that's a very tough space to be in where it can lead to so many other things and you really just have to meet a person where they're at and to support them to get to the next level um of their life to be able to excel right and you know Kanisha it's such a um it's such a powerful story as I, you know, I encourage everyone listening today to just really go pick up the book and, and read through it front and back, maybe even twice, because there's so many um, lessons you can pick up from the book, not just what Kanisha just talked about in regards to that resiliency, but not comparing one person's resiliency to another because situations are not the same. But even that message that you just spoke um, whether you knew it or not, in talking about the struggles that sometimes people face when they're in poverty situations and having to choose between one lesser situation or another lesser situation. You know, as I read those pages of your senior year, yes, you were 19 with a two point something GPA. You know, you were trying to get through school. You talked about I it. Had like, a one point something, right? <laughs> right. I mean, it was, I don't know if it could have got lower. You know, it, here we go 2.2. But it was just no, like, was, I had a I had a 1.9, right? And when when I finished, when they calculated all of my grades at the end of senior year, it went up to a 2.2. <laughs> so I was throughout the year, I did not have the credentials to graduate. <laughs> right. But you know, you you persevered through that. And I think that's just to to hear that, you know, having such a tough um upbringing and situation but then to persevere at a time where I mean you just said it waking up at 5 5 a.m to go to class you know to get all the extra credits you need you was in regular school you was in night school like all of that talked about you know granola bars and just like just not even having it but that perseverance still resonated through till you find yourself applying for a college that let you in. So we started at, you know, the community college. We got in, you was there. And then you find yourself then having to deal with the whole 
tuition waiver exemption process. So tell me a little bit like what that was like to have persevered through such trying times to have made it over that hump only to find yourself meeting another hump that's a, a piece of paper that someone hadn't walked you through the steps and the processes for completing, you know, every semester. Because then, you know, in that one semester where it was like, oh, I didn't do this in time, then there was another sticky situation. So just tell me a little bit about how did that, um, how did that feel for you when it's like, oh, damn, I just accomplished this. I made it over this hump. And now I got to deal with this, some more BS that's like a piece of paper and a, a, a process that shouldn't even be um, for youth. What did that feel like for you? For me, in that moment, it was very, um, it was draining where it was just, you know, that reminder that, gosh, this system sucks, right? Like, it's, it's always going to be something that refers back to, you know, the lack of quality that this system provides. But from my thought processes today and looking back on, you know, that particular situation, it it just tells me, you know, like we just have to go through things. Sometimes we have to be the sacrificial lamb in um, situations because that one experience pushed me into a whole other direction, right? Like it unlocked something into me to become an advocate, to advocate against, you know, all of the, um, all of the the missing pieces for between the system and children. So although in that moment, it was like, gosh, it just reminded me how much I hate this system and how much, you know, we can do better. And on, in the long run, I have been able to, you know, contribute to a system where that same thing that made me hate the system, you know, it's less likely for a child to experience that today. And now we're at a position where we can hold people accountable because I always, when, when things like this come up and someone's talking to me, you know, I can say like, I know for a fact that this is in place to help children be self-sufficient because I went to Tallahassee and I advocated for this. So I know you can't tell me you you is you can't bullshit me around this topic, right? Because I'm one of the children that went to well, I was a young adult at the time who went to Tallahassee to remove the barriers that was surrounded around this actual resource that is supposed to help us get to self-sufficiency. So even though in that moment I was, you know, drained right. in in the long run, it turned out to be something positive. Absolutely positive. Um and as you said, not just for yourself, but for so many more kids who are able to reap the benefits of the work that you put in. So let's talk about that for a little bit. You know, throughout your collegiate career, you found yourself engaging in organizations um, and, and through some, you know, how shall I say? I don't want to say mishaps, but just through some godlike encounters, <laughs> job situations may not have, have worked out with the, with the department that you intended, but you found yourself in other areas where you were able to connect with people who ultimately led you into the area of advocacy. And as a result, you, um, in partnership with some of the organizations that you have worked with, you have influenced a number of Florida statues, legislations, et cetera. What does that mean for you to know that you've had your hand in such powerful places to be able to make changes, not just for yourself, but for so many more kids down the line. 
for me, you know, it's, it's one of those self-fulfilling things because the laws that I was able to um, have impact on, they were they were not even about me at all because I was, um, I was already old. I was already older. So, but it just goes back to that resilience and trying to remove as many barriers to being to self-sufficiency as I can for someone else. Because, you know, as a social worker, the time when I was on the front line in the case management agency, you know, Um, My time at the agency, I recall one child committing suicide. It was a big case in Miami-Dade. And, you know, just thinking about a child's life from when I was suicidal to being right there front and center Mm -hmm. in a a case at the agency I'm working at where a child had committed suicide. And then, you know, it was all over the news. It's always about, you know, that level of resilience and why are we putting you know, these pressures on children to be so resilient, like, oh, you have to overcome this, you have to overcome that. And just because of, you know, a situation that I, that I'm in and no fault of my own, right? Like, this is not my fault. I'm not a jacked up person. I didn't make a mistake. I didn't do anything to cause me to be in this position. So why is my life, you know, extra harder for me to just, you know, be a child to have fun, live, learn, whatever, you know, your childhood is going to look like for you. So to have my hands in that just lets me know that, you know, I've contributed something to this world where as an adult, you know, we, we're asking, you know, why is this person homeless or why is this person in a criminal justice field? And we're judging them based off of what we're looking at at the present time. But we don't know that person's story. We don't know that person's journey. So if I can contribute to something to prevent, you know, that later story, those later experiences from happening, you know, I feel like in this earth I've done, I've contributed my part. And that is ultimately how I feel because we, we, we all we have in this world, right? Like as humans, we only have each other. Um, yeah, they say we need the trees to breathe, but I mean, do we really know that? <laughs> like all we really have is each other and we communicate with each other. I can understand you and you can understand me. So, you know, it's just, just showing up for my sisters and brothers in this world. That's really what it's, what it's all about for me. It's, it ain't even about me at all. It's so selfless that you say that, you know, it's not about you because as we, you know, as we read through and as we learn of your, your situation and your story, um, there was times when it was a struggle, like it was a struggle for majority of your life, you know, until you found that, you know, you found that peace, you found what God put you on this earth to do, which was that advocacy. You kind of found your semi-family in college or whatnot. But when you get to chapter 10 of your book, you talk about there being beauty in the struggle. And as I think back to the earlier components of your book, there were time when you were in um, early high school living with one of your um, with one of your caregivers. And you were talking about yourself in the sense of not thinking that you were beautiful. Right. You are um, beautifully dark skinned. But at the time you was like, you know, you're, you're dark skin your hair, et cetera. 
how did you or who may have influenced you to get to a space and place where you just loved yourself as you were and you became okay with your self-image? We know that it eventually happened, but how did you find the energy or the influence to get to that space and place? So for me to get to a place where I began to say like, okay, I'm beautiful and Mm -hmm. It was, it was a lot of things outside of me, not even in my environment, right? Where like, I I really have like, I enjoy old shows where people, like I like a different world. Mm-hmm. I watch like a, um, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air where it was just so many different, um, The Cosby Show. It was so many different messages um, in 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 those shows that just really spoke to me, where you're not going to you're you're not really going to like everything about you know others and I and and the things that were in my environment I did not like I was like okay well even if you say that this person is beautiful it was like things that in that person's behavior that they were doing that I'm like yeah I'm not doing that right. so. It's like I would have never been able to fulfill another person's shoes because within I didn't feel like I didn't feel comfortable with even doing those, doing certain things. I didn't even feel comfortable. So for me, it was really like women like Viola Davis. Um, she when she just speak up for women and she speak up for herself and she just embrace her natural beauty. Like I love Viola Davis, even watching her and how to get away with murder. Like my niece will refer, like my niece saw Viola Davis and was like, she act like money. That's what my family called me. So <laughs> she told me that I thought it was so funny because I really do, you know, um, admire her, you know, even like, just to go back, it's like, you know, Cicely Tyson and just the messages that dark skinned women have, you know, showed up on my TV screen and just seeing people who look like me, seeing people that, you know, just show up as themselves and really embrace, um, embrace their struggles. It was like, you know, I've always said, how can I show up like that for myself? So when I was in college, I was able to get out of my environment where all of these beauty standards were so heightened and they were so important. And I like in college, I I was able to wear the same tights every day. Right. So this I was just able to just just be myself, even like friends that I knew from back home that went to FAMU. And when they used to wake up and they, they would tell me when I was hanging with them, like, Oh, when I wake, I wake up an hour early to do my makeup and I got to put on clothes. And I was like, Oh, you got to do all that just to go to class. Like, who? I don't have to do that. So for me, I was like, I was just in an environment where I was able to, you know, see, I had examples of people that I wanted to, that I loved and how they were showing up for themselves. And I just really wanted to show up for myself like that. So like one day I just, my, one of my um, colleagues was, um, she was natural and I just kept looking at her hair and I was in Tallahassee and I'm from Miami. So the whole hair thing is so different. The whole hair culture in Tallahassee is so different where people 
how the how I like my hair done from like people who do hair in Miami is so different from people in Tally. So you would possibly have to come to Miami like to get braids, keep braids in your hair for about four months until you're able to come back to Miami to get your hair done. It was so it, it was a big thing. And I was not driving back to Miami all the time just to get my hair done. And I also wasn't going to like allow people in Tallahassee to do my hair because they were not going to do it to my liking. And then weave, it's so bad. Like I hate weave. I don't even wear weave. I don't wear like hair wigs anymore because it itches my scalp so bad. You just sit there patting your head all day. So I'm like, okay, I don't even want to deal with that no more. And one of my colleagues, her hair was very beautiful and it was natural. And I'm like, I'm going to go natural. So I really just woke up one day, I called her and I just let her give me the big chop. And I felt I, I felt different. Like I feel so different with my natural hair than I do with weave where like now I have my natural hair, but sometimes I used to be, if I was going somewhere like to a major party, I would just go and put a wig on and then I'll go to the party and then I'll just take it off the next day. And then I realized, Kanisha, you just wasting your money. So I found a hairdresser um, the name of her business is CC Love Curls in Miami, Florida. And she's really taught me how to take care of my natural hair, how to, um, how to, to basically take care of my hair. So I actually like my natural hair because you know, when you don't know how to take care of your natural hair, right? You see all of these curls and you like, why my hair don't curl like that? Oh yes. You buy everything off of YouTube and you try everything. I absolutely understand. But that was me wasting all this money, right? Following all these YouTubers. But she really sat me down for four hours and taught me how to care for my natural hair without products. Like basically it's really about keeping your hair hydrated, moist, and healthy. That's really what's, what it's all about. It's not even about the products that you use. And when we first go into our natural journeys, we're, we're so busy worried about which is the right product to use that's going to work for our hair. And she taught me that that wasn't the case. So for me and just, you know, my natural stuff and just doing my natural hair is a journey for me where in a few months, I'm going to start my lock journey. Like I now I want locks. I don't even want to do the whole curl journey anymore, but I want, I want to go, uh, I want to have dreads for a while. So, you know, it's just for me, it's just about, you know, being myself and just really showing up and trying all the different things that I want to try in life. And like I said, just seeing how other people showed up for themselves. And it just taught me that, you know, I can show up for myself like that. And no matter what anyone else thinks of you and say about you, I have to wake up with myself every day. So <laughs> you better learn to love yourself because you can't change like you can't change who you are. And I'm scared of a lot of things. Like I'm not going to get, I'm scared of surgery. I'm not going to say like, I would never get it in my life, but oh my God, it's like really not my first option to just be like, oh, let me go get surgery. So I just really learned to, to just love myself and be comfortable within my own skin. And that, you know, I am beautiful and you're going to be ugly to somebody. Right. And do their opinion really matters? No. So just be not just be, but, you know, like what you see in the mirror and just choose who you want to be and show up as that person. Because 
beauty is more than just looks. It's really about, you know, your character, who you are inside, your heart, how do you feel, your soul. So it's not really all about how your eyes, mouth, and nose is connected and what image it comes to, right? It's, it's just more than that. Right. So, Kanisha, you, you just talked about, you know, just... Um, really embracing like what you want to see um, from yourself and individuals who sort of embraced and embodied that powerful woman and qualities and characteristics that mean um, something of importance to you. Throughout the, throughout the book, you quoted a few women, um, Michelle Obama, Lena Wraith, Waith, excuse me, Ida B. Wells, and a few others. Um, And so talk to me a little bit about the influence of women that you have seen in some of the older TV shows, Um, women that you have seen, whether in powerful positions, political positions, et cetera. I know you had that opportunity to get to the White House and just just miss the Obamas. but then also the women that were in your life, right? So the women that that cared for you, whether positive, negative influences. I know your grandmother talked to you a lot about, um, well, you guys had the conversation. And as you look back, it stemmed in regards to sort of racism and things that she encountered in her role. But tell me a little bit about the influence that women had on your life and shaping who you are today. The influence that women, you know, and, and I don't, I think it's for me is women and men. Um, and it was just really about hearing other people's stories. And I, because I always say like, you know, we, we're all we have. And there are people who have experienced other things and there's things that, um, you know, they have their experiences and you're trying to learn. So for me, just, learning from others and learning from others journey is what was really mostly about the experience for me and listening to their opinions about you know how their experiences shaped them and how growing up behind them that I was able how was I able to apply this to my own life so that's what me looking to people did for me it was just about you know listening to them um understanding them and just really finding ways to apply certain theories that they spoke about to my own life and even you know I read a lot so Elizabeth Gilbert was a a author that I thoroughly um enjoy reading her books and her journey where you know I was able to apply things that she spoke about in her life to my own life and actually help me get to traveling abroad right so that book opened up my mind to say hey like I want to travel and I actually was able to achieve that so yeah, that was basically, you know, how people, that was why I look at other people. And that's why I listen to people. That's why I read. That's why I watch a lot of interviews and I listen to a lot of podcasts because I just want to really hear how others are accomplishing and overcoming things in their life and just, you know, trying to learn because we don't have to, when we want to do something, we don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? Like so many people, 
you'll be surprised how many people are thinking about achieving the same thing that you are achieving. <laughs> where even when I was establishing my business, right, I'm thinking of all these names and I'm looking them up and they're all taken. So I, I've just learned that, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can, you know, just look to others and learn from others and, you know, learn from their mistakes, learn from what they did right. And, and you know, just personalize it for yourself. That's absolutely true. And I think that that's, it's interesting that you touched on that, you know, and as you were talking about you know, looking up your business names and them being taken, because even in the nonprofit community, um, and especially around foster care, you know, there are so many nonprofits that are out here that are focused on, you know, supporting foster youth, especially those that are transitioning out. Um, and we tend to do things in silos, but think about how much greater of an impact we can have if we were to come together as a larger collective and really be able to help the amount and the number of kids that we say, you know, we want to be able to support. So, yes, what you're talking about, I definitely agree with. And just, you know, coming together and looking at how other people are doing it because somebody else may have a model that's working. And that's just a model that we can pick up and try versus trying to reinvent something. Um so, okay, one of my last questions this is the next to the last question. At the back of the book, <laughs> you list a playlist of music. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lover of music. So as I was looking at these songs, I was like, I've, I've listened to all of this, but I didn't take away what Kanisha may have taken away. Um, but you list this play, look, playlist of music that has been the background um, of your life and sort of pushed you through in your journey. You say, as you're writing, reflecting and growing, one um, artist on the list, my favorite, Tupac, Meek Mill, Monica, Ludacris, et cetera. The list goes on. But those were the playlists from sort of back in the day that carried you through. Who are you listening to these days that's carrying you through? What do you find yourself listening to, reminiscing on, just engaging with these days? Oh, it's so funny you asked me. <laughs> because... I listen to a range of music, but I promise you these days I'm on, <laughs> I want to say I'm only, but I'll be listening to like Dirk and um, King Von. And then sometimes if I'm, and it depends on which app I'm using, right? So if I'm listening to, if it's like my hair wash day, I would turn on Apple Music and I'll just press shuffle through every song that's possibly on my play I mean that's on my, in my musical library so I'll listen to any person that's actually on there and come up but if I'm listening to title I'm really listening to Dirk and King Von and the whole OTF family these days um but what my musical playlist had meant to me is I really wanted to walk people through my journey where it was kind of like the order that the songs are in serve a purpose the actual songs they have a purpose so like dreams I love Solange and and I, I love that album um but when I when I when I hear dreams I, I just thought of like a baby being born and you know you just having dreams if you don't really know if these things are going to come to life for real or what is about but just as a baby only thing you have is you know just that time to be small and just 
be curious about everything that's around you. And then you just get to dream and you, you sleep a lot when you're a baby. And then, you know, just YBN Corday, which his name today is just Corday, but bad idea. It was just certain words and lines that was um, in the songs where he just talked about, you know, being a, he was to me when he just talked about wearing hand-me-down jeans and, you know, things would just be better if I just had, you know, a little extra cash in them. It was just like, that's just how I felt as a child. Like, I was getting all of these hand-me-down things. I was getting secondhand treatment. But if I just had something else, like how better my life could be. So, and then just run runaway love by Ludacris and Mary J. Blige, right? It was just like, I'm this child who's running away and you keep experiencing all of these things every time you run away. And then you're meeting people and people just leaving out of your life. And, you know, I grew up in the heart of Miami where I grew up in the hood. so. I was losing friends. I was moving, losing friends. I was losing friends to gun violence. I was, you know, um, around the, I was around a lot of violence. I was around a lot of, um, a, a lot of different things was going on. So, you know, the playlist to me was just a, a really, a, a real walkthrough of my life. Well, even when I brought it, like when I bring Rhapsody into uh, my playlist, it was just like how we just had the conversation about, me embracing myself. Um, Rhapsody's album Eve did a lot for that. Like I love that album. She dedicated that album to black women. And when I listened to that album, like I just am reminded that I that I am beautiful and I can feel beautiful about myself. So that is what, you know, I, I love music and I'm always listening to music. So I just thought it was um interesting to kind of give you guys a journey of me through music you know music speaks i i feel like music speaks to the soul right music does something um in connecting people connecting emotions connecting thoughts and sometimes in ways that we just can't do through our spoken words but yet music can do that i personally i love music i love all types of music um and i just i I laughed when I came back here to your music playlist because I was like, oh, she get it. Like you don't find musical playlists in many books. But the fact that you put that in there and you really are sort of emphasizing and connecting with your audience through a musical playlist, I think that just brings this this book and your story to another level. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, and was just really appreciative of it. So... For all of my guests, since this is the Fostering Perspectives podcast, there is one question that I like to ask of everyone before we end any of our interviews. And um, that's going to be around the day you entered foster care. That was a drastic day for you. You said in the beginning of the book that you felt like you were left hanging that day. So from your perspective, having experienced the system, now that you look back, you've you've pulled your case files, you know what your story is, um, you know what was written down as your story, which may or may not match what you wrote as far as your life experience. But from your perspective and all that you endured and all that you, you know, overcame, what would you say is one thing that you would change about the system? One thing that I would change about the system 
is I would incorporate more prevention services. Um, the number of children that we have going into the family is, I mean, going into the system is sometimes unnecessary, mm. not needed, um, for many, for many reasons. And, you know, I think that we have to stop looking at the foster care system like a hospital. Mm-hmm. And we really need to understand that, you know, the things that are happening in in society are really the causing are, are really the causing issues of, you know, what the foster care system is responding to, right? Like it's not the foster care system. Like we're just a system, but we have to live in this world. And I'll give an example. It would be, you know, housing. The foster care system have nothing to do with the cost of living, right? So the clients that we serve, we can never say, we we don't have any dictatorship on finding, uh, on setting the prices of rent, right? And getting our clients some affordable housing. We, We don't have anything to do with that. We're just responding to society. So um, if I can change things, it will be, you know, more prevention services, which would be the things that are happening in society, like, you know, more affordable rent, more affordable rent, um, a living wage, you know, breaking generational curses. We, our families, the black family, we are living in a, a lot of um, detrimental generational things that have been going on, you know, before we were born and we are a product of these things. And then you have a system that's responding to these issues as if people have all the, have all the options in the world, right? Like we are really living in generational poverty where, you know, we are born into poverty stricken families and we just, we are just really trying to find our way, you know, out here in society the best way we can. And sometimes, you know, some do get lucky, some prosper, you know, to greater heights, but it's really a struggle and, and, it, and it's not easy. So if I could change that, I probably said about 50 things I could change, right? <laughs> but I would change. And, and that's what, you know, the purpose of my book is to give people, you know, that insight that it's really not about just the system. Like this is really, you know, societal problems. So we need to shift our mindset on how we are looking at the issues that we have in this world. And just when it comes to the system, be more preventative than to just breaking up families and putting children in the foster care system and looking at the parent like they are like demonizing the parents Mm -hmm. where you know we just need help in the leg up and we need education absolutely I (laughs) to your point there are so many things that we can change with the system um I tend to ask that one because I, I am always interested based on people's perspectives and sort of how they are involved with the system, whether as, you know, whether it's through their past life, current life, employers, et cetera, you know, their perspective looks different in what that one thing is. But the premise of everything that you mentioned has been mentioned previously. So, you know, I I definitely appreciate that. So, Kanisha, thank you so much for joining us today. Guys, if you are listening, whether you are a foster parent whether you are a caregiver, whether you are a caseworker, because Kanisha, we didn't even get into that chapter, y'all. We could have went on for a whole another hour 
And just in regards to the burnout chapter that she has in here, whatever your role is, even if you are not engaged in the foster care system, this book labeled by Kanisha Anthony, I think that's something that everyone needs to pick up. Everyone needs to have on their bookshelf because you need to read it. Just as Kanisha just mentioned, it's not even just about introducing individuals to the foster care system and the imperfections there, but around society and some of our some of the areas where we can, as a society, come together to support individuals and families that need our support. So I personally recommend that everyone go out and pick up a copy of the book and gift a copy to someone else. Um, And in doing that, Kanisha, thank you so much for interviewing, but tell us where we can follow you, where we can pick up a copy of the book. And are you up to anything currently that we need to know about and support you on? Like what's happening now? You can always um, visit my website, KanishaAnthony.com and subscribe to stay connected to me. You can follow me on Instagram at about Kanisha and my book Instagram is about labeled. I am on Twitter as well at about Kanisha. And what I have coming up is a new book, another book that I'm currently working on. Um, So you can always, you know, stay connected for that upcoming project and, you know, support labeled. I feel that You know, I am an indie author and there is a whole world that do not know about labeled. And I really wanted to bring um, a different perspective to the conversation surrounding um, foster care and societal issues, being that I am a social worker and I've heard the conversation for many years. So I thought that I had a very unique perspective to um, bring to the table. So you know, tell everyone about label. Word of mouth is still the best marketing strategy. Make sure you leave um, your book reviews on Goodreads, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, and you can always pick up a copy wherever books are sold. I always encourage people to shop indie. So Books and Books does carry my book. Shop indie because it supports our um, community versus big corporations. Um, But However you like to shop, you can always get a book on my website directly with me or wherever books are sold and just make sure, you know, you tell someone about labeled and leave a book review wherever you purchased your book. Awesome. Again, thank you so much, Kanisha. And to everyone listening, all of her information regarding um, Instagram, where you can purchase the book and even Twitter will be located in the show notes. So thank you all for listening. And thank you, Kanisha. Thank you.